Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They came and they, they were testing him. Seeking from him a, a sign from heaven. They couldn't have been serious, really. You want a sign from heaven? Don't you see just what, what happened to this young person right here? Don't you understand? They, they were filled with a demon, and now that demon is gone. That's not sign enough for you? In the midst of all of this attack, Jesus understood what was going on, and understand it was going on in the background. It was, again, they were whispering these things. They, they didn't go up and confront Jesus directly, saying, I, I think that you're doing this by the power of Satan. No, they were doing this whispering through the crowd. Jesus was continually tested by the religious authorities. And while it's not a bad thing to test what we hear, wrong motivations can blind the eyes of those administering the test. As we listen to Pastor David, we'll learn about the thoughts and motivations that blinded the eyes of the religious authorities who came in an attempt to expose him. God knows our thoughts, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can discern the hidden motivations of a person's heart, too. With Jesus, nothing is left unexposed. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Determined Blindness. passion and the depth of his music has impacted literally generations, uh, not only in this country, but very likely all around the world. The depth of the lyrics, as well as the, the melody that becomes almost a, a repetition within our minds, has, uh, again, touched hearts in so many ways. You, you know the greatness of his music by the titles. Ahab the Arab, Guitarzan, and that one really great one, the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. Now granted, you've got to be a couple of generations back to really understand who I'm talking about. It's Ray Stevens. He was, he was a big hit back in the 70s. Some of you were just being born at that time. I understand that, but uh, I guess that was my era or error, one of the keys. <laughs> but one of the songs that uh, Ray Stevens wrote, actually uh, was released uh, in 1970, was a song that, that was a completely different genre for Ray Stevens, uh, but it really did show a, a really good and powerful depth to the song and the lyrics. The song some of you might be familiar with is Everything is Beautiful. Uh, again, it, uh, it dealt with the prejudices, it dealt with a lot of issues that were going on in life, and again, how everything is beautiful in its own way and in its own time. One of the lines in that song uh, is possibly familiar. He says that there's none so blind as he who will not see. 
A lot of people thought that Ray Stevens actually wrote that line, but actually that line uh, is, is credited about 250 years prior to that. And none of us were around at that point in time. But uh, Matthew Henry, a pastor and a commentator of the time, wrote the words, actually his, his quote is, there's none so deaf as he who will not hear, there's none so blind as he who will not see. You know, we live in a world, and, and I don't think it's much different today than it has been for years, whether it be the time of Matthew Henry 250 years ago or the time of Christ 2,000 years ago, when we hear the voices of the multitude crying out with these things. I just can't believe that there really is a God. I don't see him active in the world today. I don't think that there is a God who, who's truly concerned about our individual lives. If there is a God, why would he, again, be concerned about small individuals like us? Or others that say, I, I see no proof in the existence of God anywhere. Or if there really is a God, then why, or why doesn't he, or why did he, and then you can fill in the blanks with whatever you know the rest of that question might be. Or the one that really gets me, what has God ever done for me? As we continue on in our study in the, in the gospel according to Luke, we're in chapter 11. I invite you to turn there if you would. Jesus had ministered now throughout all of Israel for about three and a half years. He's demonstrated the, the very power of God uh, in a multitude of ways, both privately as well as publicly. Uh, to individuals, to small groups, to, to families, and, and to great multitudes, literally thousands of people in the crowds. He's shown the power of God working through his life as he ministered healing in a, in a variety of ways, from the lame to the deaf to those filled with leprosy. He's uh, done supernatural miracles. He turned the water into wine. He, he stopped the waves and, and the storms. He, he fed 4,000 on one occasion, 5,000 on another. He walked on water. He even allowed uh, Simon Peter to walk on water for a period. He brought restoration of life to some that had lost their lives. He brought them back to life after they dead. And yet in the midst of all that, there, there were still those, even in his time, that, that didn't believe, number one, that he had come from God, or number two, that the power of God was actually working in his life. There's none so deaf as he who will not hear. There's none so blind as he who will not see. As we continue on in Luke chapter 11, we come to an event in, in the life of Jesus. Uh, it, it's shown in Matthew and Mark to have happened actually in an earlier time in the life and the ministry of Jesus, an earlier time in a different place than what we see in the normal flow of what we are reading here in Luke 11. And yet regardless of the time and, and of the place, we know that the source of Jesus' power and the truth of his personage were continually under attack. Continually. Luke 11, verse 14, and he, speaking of Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Here we find Jesus doing what he's done, again, multiple times in his ministry already. The 
events surrounding what's going on right here. As I said, with Matthew and Mark, it was a little bit different location, different time. In Matthew and Mark, it was the time just before uh, Jesus' mother Mary and uh, his, his half-brothers came and tried to take him away from the crowds because they declared he's, he's out of his mind. Even his brothers, even his family didn't really understand all that was going on. Matthew even tells us that the one with the demonic spirit not only was, was, was mute, but he was also blind. But here in, in Luke, it's very clear that whatever the individual's issue was, whatever was going on with this individual, Jesus brought to this one a complete deliverance. And it's interesting too. Um, I kind of think that possibly this might be a, a female. The, the reason is, is it doesn't say he anywhere in there. And I, I don't know, I'm just pondering those things. When the demon had gone, the mute spoke. And I won't make a joke about that being a female either. So it did say the multitudes marveled. And Luke uses that very term of demons or demonic or uh, evil spirits uh, or, or unclean spirits uh, well over 25 times within his gospel. Luke makes it very clear, very, very evident that, that Jesus had absolute and total power and authority over all demonic spirits, demonic spirits of every kind. And again, that in itself should have been a very clear sign to the multitudes that he had messianic authority, that he was the Messiah that had come from God because he has power over all of these demonic spirits. He, read earlier in Luke that he even gave power to his disciples to go and cast out demons. So again, the authority and the power is Messiah. But whenever this took place, the multitudes, they were amazed. They, they were astonished. And here, is, as Luke tells us, the multitudes marveled. But the problem is, is not everyone was so impressed. There was always that contention of folks that followed Jesus around, not out of worship, not out of adoration, not out of desiring to draw and to, to glean from his teachings, but to look for opportunity to bring accusation, to look for opportunity to, again, bring doubt upon Christ and upon his ministry. Some refused to recognize the power of God working through Christ, but since they couldn't deny that this individual had been, again, released from that demonic spirit, they decided that they would begin this whisper campaign throughout the whole crowd. They're trying to persuade the multitude that Jesus was here. He was actually an agent of, or he was under the power of Beelzebub, that ruler of demons. I can just imagine. They want to go against him, but man, you can't doubt the guy that, that had been filled with a demon. Now he's released from it. Now what are we going to do? Well, we'll just distract everybody. We'll distract from what happened to, again, bringing into question the source of the power of Christ. Beelzebub was well-known deity back in the Old Testament. It's the one also known as Baal, and he was the god of the Philistines. His name means the Lord of Princes, but with a little change of a few letters and with a little bit of a pun, it also came to mean the Lord of the Flies. By the time of Jesus here in the first century, the Jews understood that Beelzebub was Satan, and they pretty well uh, directed it that way. It was a direct reference to Satan, who was the ruler of all the demonic spirits. And they were, in essence, saying that Jesus was controlled by, and he was working under the authority of Satan himself. How much of a change is that? 
There's none so deaf as he who will not hear. There's none so blind as he who won't see. There were others that continued the attack too. They continued the, in verse 16, it says that they came and they, they were testing him, seeking from him a, a sign from heaven. They couldn't have been serious, really. You want a sign from heaven? Don't you see just what, what happened to this young person right here? Don't you understand? They, they were filled with a demon and now that demon is gone. That's not sign enough for you? In the midst of all of this attack, Jesus understood what was going on and understand it was going on in the background. It was, again, they were whispering these things. They, they didn't go up and confront Jesus directly, saying, I, I think that you're doing this by the power of Satan. No, they were doing this whispering through the crowd. Through all of this, and again, in, a, in an attempt to distract the people from following Jesus, probably in a, in a desire to destroy the very ministry of Christ and the following. Verse 17 shows us or tells us, but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing their thoughts, you're not going to surprise him in anything, you know? Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and and a, a house divided against a house fails. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Jesus was using pretty plain, pretty simple logic here. So it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. What, I, what, what you've proposed is absolutely ignorant, I believe is what he's saying. Why would Satan himself come against the demonic forces? That's just absolutely foolish. And throughout this whole argument, Jesus doesn't deny the existence of the evil power. He doesn't deny the existence of Satan. He knows better than even these religious rulers of of the power of these demonic forces and the activity of of that day and how they had impacted uh, the world all around, these demonic forces. They were an organized uh, entity. They they were armed with, with spiritual weapons. They were there to carry out the evil plans and the purposes of Satan himself. And so he goes on to bring into question even the acts of some Some who even that day, during those times, they would go out in an effort to uh, remove demonic forces or demonic possession from individuals. We see this not only in scriptures when we look at the book of Acts, but we also know this historically, that there were other Jews that, that practiced the art of exorcism, trying to remove demon possession from others. So in verse 19, Jesus asked them, he says, well, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast him out? Therefore, they will be your judges. You see, he's not letting them get by with anything here. You think, you know, if, if the only way the demons come out is by the power of Beelzebub, is that what the other, perhaps, priests, the other religious rulers, these exorcists of the day, is that how they're doing their trade or how they're doing their ministry? Jesus kind of puts the situation back on these religious rulers. And once again, Jesus moves forcibly to the offense. He's coming against them. And these Pharisees now, these religious rulers, they now need to drop back to a defensive position. And they have absolutely nothing to stand on. And Jesus continues on with his reasoning, again, to refute that foolishness of what they said. He tells them in verse 20, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, 
Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The way I look at this is he's telling them, in essence, I'm certainly not defeating the hold of the enemy by the enemy's own power. So I must be doing it by the power of God. And therefore, you need to realize that the kingdom of God is what's in action here, and you're totally missing it. By not seeing and believing and understanding that it was God that was in action among them, they were missing the move and the power and the authority of God that was right there evident before them. They weren't giving glory to God for the work of God, and so they're missing the power of God in their lives and in the events that were going on. There's none so deaf as he who will not hear. There's none so blind as he who will not see. God's active and in motion all around us, and I believe every day of our lives. Are you willing, and, and do you in your own life, give God the glory for the events that you see going on? Or do we sometimes take the glory ourselves, or we say, oh, well, it was just the circumstance that was going on? You know, if you truly believe in the fullness of the sovereignty of God within your life, you need to understand that God is in control of your life. Every good and perfect gift, what, comes from the Father of he- in heaven. That, that's the reality and the truth of the Scripture. Jesus now goes on to give them a lesson in spiritual warfare. Look with me in verse 21. Verse 21, he speaks, when, it, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in place. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. The illustration's pretty clear here. The strong man, that, that initial strong man that he speaks of, that's the devil, Satan himself. He's fully armed. He's, he, he's, he's a powerful force to be reckoned with. And don't think too lightly, gang, of the enemy of your souls. I, I think one of, the, one of the great dangers in Christianity today is for us to think too lightly of the power of Satan in the world. Not only in the world, but yes, even in his attacks on you and I as a believer. The disciples had a lot of firsthand experience, and they knew the power of the evil one. We see over and over again warnings and cautions throughout the Word of God of taking the devil too lightly. Jesus, in in speaking to his disciples, speaking again of the devil, he warns us that he comes to steal and what? To kill and to destroy. I mean, don't doubt that one moment not only in the non-believers' lives, but what he wants to do in your lives, even as believers. Jesus, remember, warned Simon Peter. He said, Simon, oh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you and to sift you like wheat. Can he sift us today, even as believers? I believe that he can. Oh, I don't believe that he can possess us. We are possessed, we are bought with the price of the blood of the Lamb. He cannot possess us. We have already been bought. But I believe that he can come and he can distress us. And he can impact and affect us in many ways. Peter, speaking, I believe, out of experience himself, when he writes in 1 Peter, he says, you know what? You and I as believers, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. Because the adversary, our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
you realize the enemy of your soul is looking for opportunity to destroy you, to pull you down, to impact uh, the, the, the effect of your life and the effect of your testimony to the world around you? Even Jude explains, and as he's writing about the intensity of the battle between Michael the archangel and the devil, he writes, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil dared not bring a reviling accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Jude understood. There's power there. There's intensity there. He's known as the prince of demons. He's known as the prince of this world, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this age. And though we need to be careful, cautious, and aware of the strength of the evil one, and I don't want to lessen that, but I also want to let you know that we also need to fully understand greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And with the balance and the understanding, we also need to know this isn't the, the yin and yang, the, uh, the, the dark side and the light side, and they're both equal forces. No, our God is greater than all the forces that Satan could ever muster up. I understand that totally, but I don't want to lessen the reality of the power and the impact of Satan in the world today. Hal Lindsey, back in the 70s, wrote the book, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And the reality and the truth is he is still is alive and well on the planet Earth. And when Jesus speaks about that one, that's who he's speaking about, Satan. But then he goes on to say that one stronger, and that is our Lord Jesus. And he says when that one stronger comes in, he comes upon him and he overcomes him. And he takes from him all of the armor which he trusted and divides his spoils. In other words, Jesus comes to what Satan has and he overcomes and he overcame Satan at the cross, gang. That was the victory of Christ, and it was sealed and delivered on the day of his resurrection, complete and total. Jesus makes it very clear at this point that he is and always will be stronger than Satan. And when he comes against the devil, he overcomes him thoroughly. He defeats him. Satan is a defeated foe. Then, Pastor, why do we have to worry about him if he's a defeated foe? Because what we open up to him, even as the defeated foe, what we allow him to do within our lives. You see, Jesus comes and he strips him, as he says, he stripped him of his armor. Jesus removes Satan's authority and his power against believers. And the only power and authority that he has in our lives right now is that power and authority that we allow him to have in our lives. When we, again, walk away from the strength and the power of the Lord, we allow the power and the authority of Satan to come back and begin affecting and impacting our lives. Jesus says here, when that stronger one comes in, he divides his spoils. In other words, Jesus takes back that life that Satan had control over. Before you and I came to Christ, before we made a commitment of our lives to Christ, we were under his control. You might say, well, no, I was never a Satan worshiper. By default, you actually were. Because there's only one of two. Either you're trusting your life into the care of God Almighty through faith in Christ, or you're allowing the enemy of your souls to direct and control your life.
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small